Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Hey, Billy, I'm just so pumped to have you on today. Welcome to Wealth Science, brother. Your story is amazing. And I am so privileged to have the opportunity to interview you, man. I can't tell you what a huge fan I am of your journey and your story and how you are helping so many people out there attain financial freedom. Again, it is a privilege to have you on, brother, and welcome to Wealth Science. Thank you so much, Jesse. You, yeah, it's, uh, it's like we were saying just before, Like I've been watching what you have been doing, the way that you go about adding value you leading first and whether that's a, a lot of the way that we met through LinkedIn or the way that you are just adding so much value through the podcast, man. And it's, uh, it is absolutely my privilege to be here and share another conversation with you. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I'm a huge fan of all the content you put out, the LinkedIn, the podcast, you are amazing. The story is amazing. I want you to be able to share this story with my audience because I know it's going to benefit so many people out there. Maybe for people who aren't connected with you on LinkedIn, who haven't listened to the podcast yet, Billy, I mean, you know, where are you from? Where did you grow up? How did you get to where you are today? I mean, give us this full story because I know it's just packed with so yes. many great nuggets. All right. Well, I'll try and tell the story as, as quickly as I can. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> hey, Jesse, would you be okay if I just said I just said something to your audience really, really quickly? Because yeah, please, please. I've watched you so uh, quickly make so much positive impact and you're doing it on a consistent basis. And if you're already watching and you're already listening, if you haven't taken literally like just a couple seconds to leave Jesse an honest written review and a rating, like this is the way that he continues to make the podcast awesome value add for you and just take a couple seconds to leave him an honest written review as well as a rating. I know it's going to make the podcast for you even much better. It's going to continue to attract amazing guests and you're going to get even more valuable content. So uh, with that stated, just kind of uh, what I'd like to tell you, I guess is a little bit about my story, Jesse, which is, well, originally I'm, I'm a guy from Columbus, Ohio. So I was born in in the Midwest, in the U.S. And probably by the time I was around 12, 13, we had already lived in three states. I started in Ohio. We moved to Colorado. My brother and sister were born there in Denver. And we left there, went to Texas. Uh, my parents moved down. My mom was, met a bunch of new friends. And my dad got into oil and, oil and gas industry. And you know, the thing that happened along those moves is Although there were three states, 12 years, we probably moved houses like seven or eight times. Uh, I'm the product of two parents who are very blue collar. Neither one of them were able to go to school, finish college. But the thing that they really were always focused on for me and my brother and sister was education. The big thing for them was how do we make sure that you have access to quality education so that you and your brother and sister don't have to do the same things like we're doing. Like you don't have to work two jobs. You don't have to make very difficult decisions at the end of the month. Cause I watched my parents, Jesse, 
many times, like towards the end of the month, like they had to figure out which bill they were going to pay and they were going to, they had to figure out, okay, are we going to do X? Are we going to do Y? Now it's not a story of like racked riches and we always had food on the table, but I just watched my parents struggle financially. And, And that was a really difficult thing. And at the same time, because they put such a, like a prize on education, you know, I wanted to continue to go out, get really good grades. I studied hard. I was like an A student growing up and even in college. But the thing is we ended up leaving Texas. We went back to Ohio. My parents had marital problems. Uh, Eventually after kind of separating, reconciling, they eventually divorced. And my mom and brother and sister and I were were in Columbus. My dad stayed there for a while. And then, uh, then he eventually moved to, to New York or to, you know, to New York, uh, the New York area where he still continues to live. And the reasons that that's important is because like, I know what it's like to be in a family, in a family where there's kind of constant turmoil. I've seen the the difficulties that can happen when you don't have the same understanding of of finances or when you struggle. And, and that's something that has really left a, a big lasting impression on me. And so while my parents told me, you know, go out and get, you know, get really good grades. We did that. And and I did that. And I, I studied really hard and through high school, I got, you know, really good grades and I was an athlete letterman early on in my, in my high school career doing track and field and things like that. And, and afterwards ended up going to college and I went to college like first wanted to go to college, which was kind of a big thing in the family. So wow. my parents were very proud of that. And that was, that was a big deal. And I went, had two degrees, I actually finished in, in four years with my first degree. And then I was set up to go for my work for my dream company. Cause where I went to school at Miami of Ohio, which is in the Southwest in a town called Oxford, Ohio. And the, the big dream job there was to, if you were a marketing major, like I was, was to go and work for Procter and Gamble and me being an A student and always excited selling and things like that. This was the very first time in my life that I had my goals set on something and I was rejected. Like I didn't get my dream job. Uh, I went, I got my, started the interview process, went through the first round and just kind of got, you know, I was rejected. Uh, and so from there, ended up going back for fifth year, got another degree. And the first semester of my last year, I went and lived overseas uh, in Spain. And that was back in 1995 finished that. And then I came back and, you know, I now have another degree, had this international experience and I still wanted to go for my dream job, which was at PNG. And so I went through the process. I got started again they accepted my uh, resume. I went for the interview. I did all the cognitive tests and all this kind of stuff. And I got rejected again. And that was kind of like, oof, this is not really good for my ego. I don't know how to handle this. I, you know, this doesn't happen to people like me. And so the thing that happened is probably the greatest, probably rejection that like one of the biggest positive things that ever came out of rejection, which was um, a really good friend of mine in college. Who's like one of my best friends uh, today. It was from St. Louis, Missouri. And he told me like, Hey, listen, there's this job in, in, in St. Louis. He knew I was really dejected about being turned down for the second time. And in this job, there were these people that worked and traveled around the world. And so out of like five or 6,000 resumes, I was one of 26 people that was accepted. And the thing about this job was it gave me the opportunity to interact with a lot of fortune 500 CEOs. And most importantly, it gave me the opportunity to travel around the world. And Jesse, in five years, I had the chance to work and travel throughout some 58 countries. And this was like traveling at five-star hotels, resorts, doing business meetings, uh, leisure travel uh, with these really important influential people. And the thing that happened after five years, and I was, it was fantastic because it exposed me to things that I had never been exposed to. It challenged my thinking. It challenged my thought process because, you know, you had to get things done. And whether you were in Istanbul, you were in Buenos Aires, uh, you were in Las Vegas, like you had to get things done in different cultures, adapt. And, and that was 
absolutely fantastic. But it was time for me to kind of finish that job because it was so amazing, but I was missing so many things. And from there, I decided I wanted to do a one-year sabbatical and I was accepted at university in Paris, France. So this was the second time I had a chance to actually move overseas and, and live. And I wanted to learn how to speak French language. I wanted to learn more about the culture, wanted to learn about, uh, wine. And I also wanted to learn salsa dance. Like people ask me all the time, like, how'd you come up with these three things? I'm like, I don't know. But these are the three things that I came up with. Right. Cause I'm a very goal oriented person, a student, yeah. you got to have your goals. You got to drive towards those things. Well, the, the good fortune was I actually, in the beginning, I, I went there. I didn't know how to say anything in French, but I knew that I wanted to learn. And I went through a lot of really difficult, challenging evenings because I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anybody, Jesse. I just moved there because this was like a personal goal. And I made this decision. I made this kind of calculated risk to move overseas. And there were many times, like in the very beginning, when I was doubting the decision that I made to actually go over there and live. But after about six months, I realized that this was such a positive experience that I wanted to stay. And so, cause I had these great relationships before I actually started connecting with some of the people that were very influential in these big companies and they were true to their word. And I had a number of different interview processes and the one role that worked out allowed me to stay in France. And so I left Paris, I wanted to stay there and I went down to the South and I got into the IT industry and I started on the hardware side and I was down in a town called Montpellier you know, working for, working for Dell. And I was there trying to sell in French over the phone, which was really kind of a challenge. And, and I had to take a really, I had to take a step back, very kind of humbling data entry role. But one thing that led to the next, and I eventually got back to into leadership roles, which is what I was doing in that, in that role with those five years and during those five years in 58 countries. And I got the opportunity to move to Italy. And so I moved and lived in Italy. I was the only non-Italian starting up this sales team in the hardware space, which is phenomenal. Right before I left, I met this really wonderful Spanish woman and she and I continued to stay in touch. She left France. She left Montpellier. She moved back to Barcelona. So there was this long distance relationship for a while. I left Italy, went back to France and eventually moved to Barcelona, Spain in July of 2005. Eventually that wonderful woman became my wife. We got married in September of 2008. We had our first child in October of 2009 and our second child in May of 2011. And so I tell you all that because along the way, I moved from the hardware industry to the software industry. I still did a lot of the things like A students do. Uh, I continued to do what I was told while I was, you know, while I was working, although I didn't really understand what investing was because I watched my parents struggle all the time. Once I started saving money, I actually thought that was investing because that was something that my parents didn't do, right? That was something that they didn't do consistently. That's probably the better way to say it. And then once I started understanding the difference between savings and investing, I then well started investing in doing what really A students do all the time, high achievers, you do what you're told and then you get the result. And, and part of what they told me to do was you go out and you maximize your, your 401k, your retirement plans. And once that's maxed out, you do your IRAs and I'm an A student. So guess what I did? I was doing exactly that along the way. And whether that was in, in the US or the equivalents here in, in Europe, was fantastic. And, you know, as, as I was doing those things, got married, having children, it got to a point where I said to myself and I, and I'd kind of jokingly say, and I'm sure we can talk about a number of things. Uh, you have to really be careful when you do like a one-year sabbatical, Jesse, because that was those one-year sabbaticals can very quickly turn into 21 years, three countries, learning four new languages to speak a marriage and two children. <laughs> so you, you have to be, really be open-minded to those kinds of things. And that's uh, up until recently, 
Uh, I just recently uh, decided that it's, it's not going to be going to the corporate world anymore. So after 26 years, I have now made a, a new turn. And is one of the things that you talked about before, really focused on how in this new chapter of my life can continue to go out, be able to choose to do the things that I want to do with the people that I want to do it with and when I want to do that and, and being able to serve uh, our clients. So it's probably a little long-winded answer, but I wanted to give you and your, and your audience a, a, an idea of kind of some of the different things that I've been through, understanding some of the, the challenges, being fo focused on objectives, being able to also make decisions based on imperfect information. And sometimes when you do the things that are the scariest to you, um, or the things that hurt the most sometimes like rejection, um, you can have an amazing uh, opportunity that's waiting for you just on the other side. So, uh, with that, I guess I'll kind of leave it up to you to see where you want to go from here, man. Robusta move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life, good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L, to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Billy, that is amazing, brother. It is incredible. This story has literally crisscrossed the world like seven different times. And I just love, I just love like unpacking this and like, there's so many similarities to my own life where it's like, dude, I failed so many times before I broke through and, and got that, you know, first big career break, or that first big deal or whatever, man. And I, I truly believe like so many people out there, they quit right when they're 10, you know, they're 10 feet from the finish line and they just can't, they have just no idea. Like imagine if you had just, you know, been like, Hey, I'm, I'm done. I've been rejected twice. I'm moving back to Ohio. I'm going to get a safe job. I'm going to, you know, you never would have met your wife. Your life would yeah. literally be completely different. It's so, completely. it's so crazy uh, to think yeah. about that. Um, yeah. so something I wanted to ask you about and get your perspective on, I think we grew up in, in somewhat of a similar family where, you know, talking about money was kind of stigmatized. I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I never talked about money with my family. I had to, you know, close the knowledge gap kind of on my own and invest in my own education to kind of build that literacy. You know, how can we kind of overcome, I guess, this stigma of talking about money, you know, not just with our children, with family members to kind of help start building that financial literacy, you know, within young people and from maybe a younger age. I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts. Yeah, man. And this is uh, so, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day and uh, he was telling me he had to write, I think it was like $300,000 check to the IRS because he's a very successful professional. Uh, mm -hmm. He talked about that he was, um, you know, that he'd done better than he'd ever done in his life. And as a result, he had to pay the largest tax bill that he'd ever had as a, as a W2, uh, you know, high earning professional. And when we started talking, I was, and I mentioned this to him, some of the different things that we're doing to help those people that are accredited investors, high earners, we started talking about the fact that, Hey, listen, man, we, you know, I wish I would have known about this before. And because there's, there's the action that I could have taken, but I wasn't exposed to it. And we started thinking about it. And we, we had this real, this exact conversation because we were talking about the fact that, 
you know, even when you have friendships, no matter how long you've had them, there's this kind of taboo where you don't really talk about money no matter what. And we just thought, well, you know what, if we would have had that conversation, because there's friends that we've known for quite a while said, man, you know what, it could have been a very different impact. And so that, I mean, the, the reason I mentioned that to you, cause it was at the top of my mind, but when I think back to the way that I was educated, I was educated based on the knowledge that my parents had and the experiences they had with money. Those experiences were never positive overall, right? There may have been moments that it would, things were looking good, but just around the corner, there was going to be the next challenge or, or, and we weren't, there were no reserves for lack of a better term. Cause I know your, your audience is very, very educated and things like that. When, when I, but when I go back to thinking the, the point of view was very much from a scarcity mindset. Why is that? Well, because when you don't have much, the thing that you think, and if you're if this, if this kind of process is reinforced, you believe that if you have very little, you must keep everything that you have because it could be gone tomorrow. And so even to this day, Jesse, I struggle with that. But the fact of the matter is I'm aware of it. And I understand because I've seen what happens when you have an abundant mindset, when you give more than you, than you take, what can happen when you do that consistently over and over and over. And, and that doesn't just have to do with financial, with your currency. That also has to do with your time, right? When you invest your time, your energy with others, you may think, oh man, I can't believe I'm doing this even more, but eventually that starts to come back. You may not understand exactly how it comes back, but it does. So just to say kind of the things that are happening today, where I come from, definitely from a, a scarcity mindset, we did not talk about money at home because when we talked about money, it was a negative thing. Um, many times the way that I grew up just, I mean, just to give kind of really a concrete example, a lot of the friends that I had in, in college and things like that, when, or, or even nowadays people talk about if someone passes away, you know, how much inheritance are you going to get? those weren't the conversations that I was having with my family. My family was okay. If someone passes away, how does everyone chip in to make sure that the funeral can be paid for or that the service arrangements can be done and things like that. So, so money was never a really positive kind of topic. And so either you avoided it or when you talked about it, it was a negative experience, which made you not want to talk about it. And so it wasn't until I actually started to have, and, and, and a lot of times it will happen for you, right? Once you start to realize that you are in control of the outcomes of your life, that you are in control of the amount of work that you do and potentially the amount of income that comes back, the amount of time that you have, then you have to start to test and figure, okay, are you going to maintain this kind of scarcity mindset? You're not going to talk about money or are you going to get educated, which is what happened to me. It happened to me probably a lot later than it should have, but at least it happened. Then once you start to get educated, you have to get around other people that will allow you to speak about things. Sometimes you're going to feel uncomfortable. It's just like other languages, right? I've, I've learned four additional languages in my lifetime and I didn't speak any of them as a, as a native speaker. And I still don't speak those languages, those languages natively. I speak them very, very well but you've got to make mistakes and you've got to be around people who will support you once you get the baseline education and being in a supportive environment is going to help you. And then when you go from that level of basically getting started, being surrounded by others, then you move on to a level of mastery where you can also now help other people. I mean, I can help people that are not uh, native Spanish speakers, maybe other people who are Americans who are getting started. I can help them 
You know why? Because I had the foundation. I've been surrounded by a lot of people and I made a whole bunch of mistakes. And so I can help them get to the next level that they're, that they're looking for. And it's no different than the money topic. The money topic is, is exactly the same. I didn't have the confidence. I wasn't talking about things because I was afraid, but now I recognize that the curious nature that I have anyway is one of the things that not only helps me to grow, but it helps every single interaction that I have. And you, you just tell people you look, you're not, maybe you're not an expert on this specific topic, but the more that you talk about it, the more you get feedback, the more that you get insight, it allows you to grow. And it also more importantly can allow you to resolve challenges that you may have in your life. And, and when you give yourself that opportunity, then there's a lot of things that can happen. But yeah, I definitely started from, uh, you don't talk about money. Uh, it's a bad subject to finally getting my own understanding of what money was moving from that scarcity mindset, still recognizing that it's back there. Cause these are things that happened to me when I was really, really little, but continuing to, to fight against those instincts and put myself in different situations where I'm constantly learning, constantly growing so that I can actually give back to others. So hopefully yeah, that, that answers the question, Jesse. It, it's a, it's absolutely did. And it's an amazing answer. And I, I truly believe that success begins at the end of our comfort zone that mm-hmm. again, money, it's so uncomfortable for people to talk about, but if you just attack that uncomfortableness, get outside that box and just, you know, you know, delve into it, maybe take small steps at a time, but just learn about it and start small and you can build to bigger and bigger things. And when I think of probably one of the most uncomfortable things you can do. I'm, I'm thinking about cold calling or trying to do sales in a foreign language, Billy, which is <laughs> amazing in itself. Amazing. How, how many software or how many deals did you close back then in, in a foreign language? I mean, no, you, you know what? I don't, I don't even, I don't even remember. I mean, I can tell you one of the, one of the, one of the things that happened. So this is actually, it's really, really interesting, right? Cause I've spent in, as a sales executive and sales leader, for the better part of 20 years, right? In the enterprise software space. So you've seen, so I saw a lot of things, but when I got started in the hardware, selling and trying to sell, trying to sell in French over the phone, making lots of mistakes, my level wasn't good enough. So I actually had to recognize that, Hey, listen, they, they hired me to be able to do that. But because my level was not high enough, I, I was put back to um, order entry. So I was actually taking orders off of the internet and putting them in to the system. Now, if I would have just looked a year before that, like I was managing and leading teams of 300 people across the globe. And I went from leading these big, large teams of 300 people at 25 years old to moving to order entry, taking in in a a computer orders off of the internet. And what that also helped me to do is it made me realize like being humble and recognizing my real goal of staying in France initially is I wanted to learn more about the culture. I wanted to perfect my French because I knew that that was going to be something that was going to be another way to, to, to contact the world and open up a lot of new doors. But if I think about the way that I started and that was back in 2002, if we project to probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years later, I was working in another foreign language in Spanish and, and, and Catalan languages. It was in an area where I was closing business with a team, leading a team, of course, um, as a sales executive, but closing over $20 million or $25 million worth of business. And so when you're stick to, like you have a plan, my plan at that point in time was to learn French, perfect French, the language. But then I realized it was about French language, French culture. And then I got the opportunity to move to Italy and it was taking the process that I'd learned in French and Spanish and then applying it to Italian language. And then when I got to Barcelona doing the exact same thing, 
putting myself in uncomfortable situations where I had to learn how to interact and sell in another language and another culture. And when you start to see the results, being able to lead teams in a culture, that's not your own in a, in a language that's not your own and being able to derive value for clients, enterprise wide clients, you start to realize that if you do have a plan, you execute the plan, you stay consistent with the plan that the results ultimately will follow. I never would have imagined in my entire life that you could be a guy from Columbus, Ohio, and then many years later, be living in a foreign language, selling in a foreign language and closing, you know, eight figure, uh, eight figures of, of, of revenue. And that was adding value, not only to the client, but also to the company that I was working for. So, um, but yeah, so it was, it, it was definitely not easy when I got started trying to sell over the phone in French, but the results have uh, been, I think positive overall. I know for me as a, in terms of growth, they've been pretty, pretty phenomenal. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And I'm just thinking even from like my background in the military, like communication from leaders to subordinates, when you're building out that team is so incredibly important and doing that across multiple languages and multiple cultures. Again, Cameron Harrell talks about the vivid vision, projecting that vision to the team. What is our end state? What is our goals? And for you to accomplish that across multiple languages and cultures, Billy, I mean, that's amazing. I've never heard of anyone being able to do that. I, I mean, how did you bridge that language barrier and communicating like that vision to a team to help them get after like the overall goal. I mean, it had to have been massively challenging at times. Yeah. So, and you know what, one of the things I, I think I just heard you say was how, how did you do it? And so the, the, the reality is, is I was very fortunate. I knew that I had a plan. I was willing to execute the plan and the results are as a res come because I surrounded myself with people that were better than I was that had expertise that I didn't have. They were, uh, you know, native language speakers. They were people that understood the culture that when I had this curious mind and I had something that was kind of felt uncomfortable in my stomach because I didn't really want to ask the question of what does that mean? Cause I didn't want to look silly. Well, when I did ask the question of the expert that was willing to take the time to help me as well, then thanks to them investing the time with me, helping me to, to get feedback as a, as a more of a novice and then me taking action on that, that's actually what allowed us to grow. And it has allowed, has contributed to, to my growth personally, but it's not because of me. It's because the people that I surrounded myself with in my curious nature. So, um, so I think, I think that kind of is the first from a, from a mindset perspective, if I look back on it. And then the other thing is once you have the, the, the opportunity to really set the vision forth, you understand where you want to go. And a lot of times that happened for me, that was a matter of sales and sales quota. And how are we going to get to this at the end of a year? And then you just had to take that year and you, and you broke it down into quarters and then from quarters into months and then from months into, are we doing something every single week, every single day to move the needle forward? And you know, that, that's just from the basic planning perspective, but then also too, on the leadership side of thing was understanding who are the different people that were a part of the team and leading without a title, huh? Cause I've led with titles and that's one thing that's kind of like the line leadership, but then there's also the leadership through influence when people don't actually have to report to you. But when you create an environment or the way that I've always thought about it, and one of the ways that I've seen the results for others is creating the environment for the individual that allows their behaviors to really take over and do what they do best. Because every single team, every single individual on a team, it needs different things in order to get the best behavior to get the job done. So 
that's what I've really focused on more is, you know, where are we going? What is the end goal? And then recognizing the different talent that is on the team, making sure we have the right talent on the team. If we don't, then, then, then fighting to get the right talent on the team. And then once you have the right team together or the best team that you can, that you can put together, maybe you're not always, you don't always have the perfect team, but it's the best team under the circumstances and recognizing the strengths of each individual and creating the environment for them so that overall the team is moving in the direction of the goal. Yeah. So hopefully I, that I makes sense. That. Yeah, it absolutely does. I, I love that. I, I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins, good to great, where he discusses getting the right people on the bus is, is the foundation of creating the right team. But, but again, I, I love your aspect as well, Billy, when it comes to humbleness, because I I've worked for so many leaders who are afraid to raise their hand and say, Hey, what does that mean up there? Or, or what, what does this acronym mean? Or what is that? Because they're afraid of what, you know, uh, subordinate leadership is going to think or something like that. But I think those leaders who are able to be humble, Billy, and raise their hand and admit that, hey, I need help right now. You know, can someone help me? Those are the leaders that I look up to. We're all humans at the end of the day. Nobody's perfect. Um, those people who just try to put up a front that they know everything and they don't need anybody, it, it, it's crazy. But I, I just love that aspect of humbleness. To kind of drive the conversation, I apologize. Your story is amazing. No, okay. <laughs> to drive this conversation back to the kind of financial piece and, and stuff like that, Billy. You know, for my audience members, they're very educated, they're sophisticated investors. You know, many of them, they're not really sure what to do, how to start in that investing piece within real estate. You know, it, you know, for those high earners that are listening right now, Billy, you know, who are looking to get into that first real estate investment. I mean, what are two to three steps you think that they can start doing to close that knowledge gap and, and start, you know, setting the foundation to get into that first investment? Well, I, the, the, the first step they're already taking, Jesse. So that's the yeah. good part. The first step is, is they're here and they're listening to you consistently. They're learning from you and they're taking what they're learning and they're putting it in action. So the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, your, your audience is very sophisticated. They're already ahead of the curve because they're here with you investing their time and they're learning and they're getting clearer on what I would say is the next step, which is really understanding why it is that you want to do what you want to do. Um, you know, you, you, many people talk about, you know, what is the benefit? And I even say, you know, what, what is the benefit that you're looking for a particular asset to provide you? But more importantly, and what are you looking for that benefit to do? It's, it's why you want it to do. Maybe if you'll allow me just to, to kind of tell a little bit of my story, because I think this is also one of the things that could, could be important. Because a lot of times, because I don't come from money, I, I really thought about and I worked really hard to make as much money as possible. Early on, I thought, I'm going to get the next promotion. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the promotion uh, because I want to be in the right rooms. I want to be the, the big title, right? Because I knew that the title meant I also would get the, the compensation. I was going to make more money. I was going to have more influence. And, and that was always going to be within the constructs of the big multinationals that I was working for. And that was going well. But I mentioned to you before that I was doing what I was told. And so someone who is a an A student today, I, re, I consider myself someone who is a recovering perfectionist because I always got the good grades. I wanted to do things right. And as I was doing that, when a, a couple things happened, this, I mean, I'm definitely going to answer your question, but I think it's good to give just some background. The, the, the thing that I was doing as I was moving along the track, I was getting the promotions. I was, things were happening. I was moving up. I was getting the raises. And I realized that the more that I was getting raises, I was make, I was actually 
getting more money, I was making more money, but then I was moving into higher tax brackets. And so every time I was moving into higher tax brackets, I was working more hours. I had more people. I had more pressure. But then if I looked at my kind of like Euro per hour or dollar per hour, it was less because I was working more time. I was in a higher tax bracket and things were not nice. So that, that was kind of one thing that was happening. The other thing that was happening is kind of one of the things that happened before was when I was putting my money in my 401k and my IRA, I was really giving all of the responsibility of my investment to my financial advisors. I gave them that power, right? Because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But then in 2000, like six years after I had been working, there was the dot-com bubble. And so I lost portfolio value and you talk about acronyms. So I got one of the acronyms was, Hey, listen, Billy, don't worry. These things happen. You know, you're going to get your D we're just going to continue to do some DCA. Everything's going to be okay. And I was like, well, what is, what is DCA, man? <laughs> He's like, well, it's just dollar cost averaging. It's kind of like, you know, you put your money in every two weeks and it's just going to be taken right out of your paycheck and it's going to come back. Don't worry. This is what happens. Just hold on. It's going to, you know, it's going to get back. And he was right because that was 2000 and around 2005, 2004, 2005, things were starting to get back to where they were before in 2006, 2007, things were going really, really well. Things were awesome. And then 2008 happened and things started getting shaky. And then after that, it was kind of downhill and I lost 33% of the portfolio value that I had, Jesse. And so for me, that was a moment where, where I said to myself, like, if something happens once, it's shame on them. But if it happens to me, cause that's what my parents told me. If it happens, if the same thing happens twice, Billy, then shame on you. And so that's when I started actually reading more. I came across rich dad, poor dad. And this time I, I started reading it, I put it down and then you know, I started reading all the rich dad books and then I started watching videos and I started listening to podcasts. And as a, as an, a student, I was looking for the perfect answer and I was doing all the things that I was supposed to do theoretically, right? Because I was consuming all this content. And then I mentioned to you before I was, I was getting married and, 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 and we were married and we had our second child. And, and one of the things that changed my life and helped me to start to get clear was that the day that my son, my oldest son turned three years old, um, I was someone who like all the things that I was doing was because I wanted to be the best father possible. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be present. I wanted to provide all the things that my parents struggled to provide me with. And so I was doing that. And, and on my son's third birthday, I went, and this is something that changed my life because that morning, um, that I didn't, didn't sleep really well the night before. And I, I had to wake up the next day because I had a business meeting in Frankfurt and so I remember waking my wife up and our one-year-old woke them up. Like you can imagine it's like six, yeah, yeah. six o'clock in the morning, something like yes. that. They're not really all that happy about it. We get our three-year-old, bring the three-year-old in the room because I wanted to sing happy birthday, give him a, give him a hug and kiss. And when I did that, I remember going to, from our flat and getting in the elevator and like my heart just sunk, man, because I was thinking to myself, what am I doing? Like I'm leaving my son on his third birthday to go to some meeting in Frankfurt. And so I was going to that meeting and, you know, I'm at the airport and I'm on the plane and I'm flying there and I get there and all the day I'm thinking to myself, I just really want to be there with my son. It's going to be a big night. And in that evening, my wife, my in-laws, our youngest son, they're all together and they're singing happy birthday to him, blowing out the candles. And I'm at some business meeting in Frankfurt. And that was like the moment that I had to go from theory to actually start taking action. And I was like, I've got to do something about like having more control because I don't want to just continue to do this kind of, I'm at the, at the 
I enjoyed, like, I really enjoyed the corporate life and I was good at it and, and I, and I liked it and there was interaction, but like, I didn't want to be leaving my son on his third birthday to be at some business meeting and at a dinner where everybody else was there. And so it was from that moment that I actually, that's when I started going from theory to practice. And then I started purchasing assets. It took me about six months uh, after that. But the thing that I learned through that, and this is to answer the question is, I just started buying properties. I wanted to buy them here in, in Spain because all the books that I was reading, Jesse, they said, listen, buy the, buy the, uh, buy the property. You're going to get two, $300 a door. The math yes. seemed to work. It was like, Hey, you're going to get revenue minus your operating expenses. It's going to bring you your NOI. And then from the NOI, if you've got to pay a mortgage, then that's going to give you your cash after debt service and, and everything penciled out to two, $300 a door. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I understand this. I can have more control. I can do this. I can do that. But I, I wasn't sophisticated enough to know, Jesse, that I was living in a location, right? And a lot of people say a market, but I was living in a location that was actually more appreciation based. So there wasn't cash flow, which was what I was looking for, because I knew that cash flow was the thing that was going to set me free. It's like blood in the veins. And so after a couple friends told me, they said, Hey, look, Billy, I know you live in Barcelona, Spain, but hey, although you live in Barcelona, you're American. So why don't you look to buy back in the United States? And so I bought eventually after a couple months, I bought back in the United States, I bought my very first property living in Spain. Actually, my wife and I were in Cairo, Egypt, the day that we closed on the property that was back in New Jersey. Um, we, we had a very positive experience with it, Jesse. The thing is we bought it and that and it was a property that ended up netting about $2,000 a door, um, or sorry, $2,000 net, um, like cash in our pocket. And so it was a really positive first experience for me. This duplex was kicking off that kind of cash. But the thing is, problems started happening and we didn't have any systems in place. And then I realized I didn't actually have the team in place that was there to do it. And, and so the reason I'm telling you this story, coming back to the question that you asked me originally, which is like, what are the things to think about? I did things the wrong way when I got started. But what I would recommend is that you flip on your uh, flip it on its head. What I did, don't do what I did. I bought the property. I figured out that then problems were happening with our residents. Then I had to build a team. I, and then the team understood the location, but I didn't know that they understood the location because I wasn't sophisticated enough to figure out where I was going. But the only thing that I knew was that I wanted cash flow. I just wasn't really crystal clear as to why. So the fact that your listeners, your audience is already here, they've taken the first step. The second step is getting and understanding what benefit are you looking for? Are you looking for a benefit that provides you something like cash flow? Is it providing you tax benefits because you are a high wage earner and you're continuing to get crushed by taxes? Are, and, and why do you want those things, right? Is it because that money is going to allow you and your family to travel around the world once a year? It's going to allow you to start putting even more cash away for your children's college um, expenses and things like that. And then once you're clear on what you want and why you want it, then it's go to the location that's going to give you the highest probability of getting what it is that you want. Do you want cash flow? Okay, go to a location that provides you cash flow. Once you're there, then you build the team. That would be the next step. You build the team in the location, and that is a team that's going to help you in whatever asset that you're going to invest in. A lot of times, and if we talk about real estate, people will think about who is your insurance broker, who's your real estate broker, who is um, who's who's going to be your attorney. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But building out your team. And then once you know what you want, why you want it, you're in the location that's going to give you the best probability of achieving that. You've built your team. Then after that, Jesse, it doesn't matter what the opportunity is. 
It doesn't matter if you are buying a duplex. It doesn't matter if you're investing passively with somebody else in a 300-unit apartment complex. It doesn't matter if you are a high-wage earner that is getting crushed by your active income and you need to invest in a piece of energy equipment that's going to help you with that because everything is in alignment with one another. So I know maybe it's a little bit long-winded answer, but hopefully that kind of gives you an idea as to the steps that I took, why I took them. And then the, the, what I would recommend, well, I don't know if recommend is the, is the right way, but what I did wrong, I realized that there's another way to do it, which is probably a lot more efficient for others. And that is getting clear on what you want, why you want it, then go to the location, build your team, and then invest in the right type of opportunity that's going to give you the, the best probability of getting back to your original goal and the benefit that you're looking for. Yeah, I, I agree with so many things there. And just to highlight a, a couple things, cash flow is like blood in the veins. It will set you free. Billy, that might be one of the best quotes that we've had here on Wealth <laughs> Science. And we might even name the episode that. Like, seriously, that's amazing. I, I agree with you. I think you know, diving head first into it, you know, you weren't really sure like, you know, how to build out that exact team. It's almost like you kind of put the horse before the carriage or, or whatever. It's like, you, you know, building that right foundation and having that team in place to support that property, to support that cash flow. Um, and it, it's, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Just kind of backtrack a little bit, um, that I think would be really applicable to my audience here, you know, for those, high wage earners out there that are, you know, getting elevated in those tax brackets, you know, what are for, and so many people, I know this is a little bit more of a, a sophisticated topic, but I think it's just so highly applicable to my audience, Billy, like hmm. what are some of those massive, I guess, tax benefits that those people can achieve through real estate that can help them and, and, you know, create almost like a tax shelter for their income by investing in real estate. Yeah, sure. So, and, and if you allow me, maybe we can even take it because I know your audience is a lot more sophisticated to kind of put some things in perspective. Um, and, yeah. and just as a kind of overarching statement, of course, you and I are talking now, we're not giving anybody advice. One of the things I just mentioned is make sure that you have a team. Like we're giving examples. We're talking about like yeah. experiences and things like that. So definitely make sure that you talk to your, uh, your tax professional or your, the members of your team so that you can figure out how these things would apply to your specific situation. But you know, one, one of the things that happened to me, maybe I'll just tell my story. So as I was someone who was a high wage earner, I, I, I learned, I later on learned that, you know, if there's someone who earns $200,000 a year for the previous two years, and they're doing it this year as an individual or as a couple, they've earned 300,000 the previous year, and they are expected to earn 300,000 this year via income, or there is someone who has a million dollars of net worth that these people are called accredited investors. And as accredited investors, they have access to some very specific type of opportunities. I didn't, I was an accredited, I was an accredited investor for a while, Jesse. And I didn't even know the fact that I was an accredited investor, which was pretty interesting. But that also goes to the fact that that tells you kind of the circles that I was hanging around. People didn't know what you, what you don't know. And so I tell you that as a background, because one of the things that I understood real estate and I understood real estate really well, and I, well, I didn't understand it initially really well, but I, I wanted to get started. So I put capital behind something. I put, I bought something, I put money there and it got my attention. And so guess what I did? I focused on that. I learned more about that. And as I was investing in real estate, one of the things that happened was I was someone who that, that was my, I had a full-time job. I was a very busy executive. My wife was working another job. So she did not have, neither one of the two of us are something that you call a real estate professional because we were, we had other jobs. We were busy professionals. Also, you know, my wife lived in Spain and things like that, but we both had other jobs. And so as we were investing in real estate, it gave me a lot of control because 
it was creating extremely efficient income, meaning that the money that was going in because of the tax brackets on something called passive income, meaning an IRS definition of income, not what Billy Keels says, and it's not the fact that you're not working for the money, but it's a, a real definition that was coming through the real estate that the rental properties that were, we were owning. And the thing that happened when I was doing this over a number of years, Jesse, I started noticing that the real estate, yes, it was extremely tax efficient because of the tax brackets that are on passive income. But then because I was overachieving and I was doing really, really well in my job, in my day job, I was getting really big bonus checks and in enterprise software space, people are typically well-paid, especially when they're performing. So I was getting this two things were happening to me over the years. I started noticing that there was this line that was passive losses and this passive losses line, Jesse, like it kept increasing like more and more and more. And it was like into the hundreds of thousands of dollars of passive losses that was happening. And at the same time I was writing 40 plus percent. Um, I was paying 40 plus percent on my active income on my earned income. So things weren't really meshing in my mind. I was thinking, well, hang on a second. I was putting money over here in real estate because it's tax efficient. I was supposed to help me not pay as much in tax and make this money. And it was doing that. But the thing of, of it is, is it was in a very particular bucket that I couldn't, like, I couldn't access because I was working in another job and I was a high paid professional. And so my W-2, I was still paying high taxes on my earned income. And so what I started to do. And the really positive thing that real estate helped me to do was understand that, Hey, listen, you don't just have to invest in the stock market. This gave me another way to start thinking about things. And when I was investing in real estate, I kept doing that. Um, I started investing, I bought a mobile home park. Um, then I understood that I could invest a couple hundred thousand dollars with somebody else and they would do the work as a passive investor. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I invested in ATM machines and all this stuff, but all of this income was passive. So I kept like compounding the problem. I was getting a lot of passive income, but I kept paying 40 plus percent on my earned income on my W2 income. And so then I started looking for a way to figure like, was there a way that I could actually, as a as a person who is a busy professional, um, you know, a lot of people in software nowadays, we work with people that are lawyers, work with people that are in uh, professional sports leagues and things like that now, because they also have a problem. And the problem is when you're paying 40 plus percent in taxes on your W2 wages, imagine if you could extract some of that. Like if you're paying, I don't know, three, $400,000 a year in W2 income, if you could even extract 50% of that or 25% of that, if you could keep 25% of that and then place it in other tax efficient passive income type of investments, then you're starting to get the most, the best of both worlds. But if you're not exposed to it, then you have no idea that there are opportunities to be able to do that. And so real estate helped me. It helped me to get into the mindset of understanding more about passive income, IRS definition, passive income. And it also started putting me in touch with other people that could help me with different problems, more consistent um, cash flow, ATM machines, um, development projects, because I wanted that experience. And then when I had issues with the W-2 wages and paying high taxes, that's when I also started finding out about other things in the energy sector, which I think you and I know, I tend to spend a lot of time there today because I know a lot of people that are in the same space like I was that are also looking to gain more control, not just of the capital, but it's what the capital represents. Because if you're able to, to gain access to that, it gives you a better, more solid runway so that you can also invest in other things, which means that ultimately you're going to be able to have the freedom to choose what you want to do when you want to do it and, and with whom you want to do it. So, so hopefully that, that 
just gives you some perspective on things. I think wherever, if you're clear on where the destination is, there are so many different vehicles that can get you there. We're talking about tangible assets, but then as you know, there are a lot of other things you can do with um, tokenization of certain types of assets. And, and, and I mean, there are just so many different tools, but I know that that tool for those people who are high income earners that are busy professionals that are looking to be able to gain more access to their capital, stop paying 40, 50 plus percent uh, in their taxes. Um, it's just different tools that can help you get to the destination. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I think uh, Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad was the one that opened my eyes to the difference between active and passive income, liabilities yeah. versus assets. How the how the rich, you know, how do the rich not pay so much in taxes and they they tax shelter their money through various different vehicles that you've mentioned here. You know, real estate being a main one, but I, yeah. I agree. I mean, there's so many amazing. If you were just you know able to take again, maybe not 100 percent, but 25, 50 percent of that, that would be non-taxable income. You know, what would that do to your overall wealth building strategy? It would be an absolute game changer. And I don't think yeah. enough people know about how many different strategies there are and amazing benefits specifically with real estate and how to uh, tax shelter their money. So that's why I, I just, your perspective, it's amazing. I love how you always relate it back to your own story and how you kind of grasp it uh, in your own life. So I, I appreciate that, Billy. Um, we're, we're getting close to the time here and it, it kills me, Billy, because this interview could go for three hours, dude. And we have just for my audience again i, I try to keep it in that 40 yeah, to 45 no, no. minute range yeah, absolutely um, absolutely but, but again right here to wrap up billy I, I gotta ask you one last question and i'm really really interested in your perspective on this it's kind of one of our final questions here that i ask every guest but uh i'm, I'm really interested billy if you could solve any problem in the world what would it be and why Wow. That's a big question. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, if we, if we think about where we are today, kind of the, you know, thinking about wealth, the, the science of wealth, right. It's, I, I think that the, well, no, I don't even think, I just know if I, and coming back, if I think of my own story at the end of the day, this world that we live in kind of having resources or lack thereof, really changes the trajectory of anybody's life, right? I read this book called Factfulness, and I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, Dr. Hans Rosling. And he talks about the world and, and the way that the world is. And, and, and he goes into a lot of different uh, aspects, 10 different aspects of the world. And he looks at, really looks at it from based on, on statistics and analysis and things like that, and helping you realize that we're not really in as bad of a place as we think we are as a world. But but at the end of the day, because financial resources affect everything in every aspect of life, if, if I could, I guess, make a, make a bigger impact would be on helping people to understand financially, um, you know, what are the things that really matter uh, and, and how can you get control of it? Because when you understand what you actually need financially and you have it in the right perspective, and you know that either you can or you can't generate more currency to support the lifestyle that you want, then I believe that that can also help to minimize a lot of different stresses that evolve in the world. It could probably, it would, I would think it would better relationships. It would help people understand to allocate certain types of resources, financial resources and time and energy to um, innovation and, and really thinking about things like health. 
And at the end of the day, at an individual level, you know that the things that are important to you and the things that you want and the things that you need uh, are covered because you have a, a strong financial uh, financial intelligence. And I, I think that's, well, I know I talked to a lot of really busy professionals today that still don't understand um, money, the way that it works. And so they keep working harder and harder, wanting to make more money rather than figuring out how they can keep more money. And if they would just figure that out, then I believe that it would give them a much higher quality of life, allow them to do the things that once again, that they have the freedom to choose what they want to do when they want to do it and uh, with whom they want to do it. So I, I, my, my focus and thinking about the, the nature of, of, of the podcast would really be around helping to solve the, the lack of financial intelligence that exists. Cause I, cause I see it at, at all levels. So, and I'm a product of that. I didn't have much of it in the beginning. Um, I'm on, I'm on my path to becoming a much more, uh, informed and financially intelligent person. I still feel like there's so much that I can learn so much more that I can learn. And I'm very curious to continue to learn. And now it's not just learn and keep it, but I want to learn it and give it to others, help other people along the path. So that's, that's what I would think, thinking of the context of, of what we're talking about today. So hopefully that, hopefully that's okay, Jesse. Billy, it is more than okay. It's one of the best answers we've ever had on here, man. I can't tell you, I've been looking forward to this one all week and it absolutely blew me out of the water, dude. It has been such a privilege today to interview you. Your story, I've said it a hundred times. I've got to edit it out because I've got to stop saying your story is amazing, but it really is amazing. And how many people you are helping today, again, just from lessons you've learned in your own life, attain financial freedom and, and escape you know, the rat race. And I, I just love the quote, do what they want with whoever they want, where they want. It's just so powerful. So I, I, I love the answer here at the end. I want to help you do that, Billy. I want to help you reach more people and help them in their financial journey. You know, where can people find you at Billy? What platforms are you on? You know, tell us where we can get your podcast. I want them to find your content and continue this journey with you. Yeah, sure. Um, it's the going long podcast with Billy Keels is, is where you can find me. So hopefully Jesse, we're going to see you over there very soon. Um, <laughs> which would be fantastic. No pressure, by the way. Um, so yeah, so the going long podcast with Billy Keels is a great place to start. Um, also in, you're one of the first people to know as well. We just recently rebranded. So we are, you can find us out there at firstgencp.com, uh, firstgencp.com. And that's for first generation capital partners. Um, mentioned before I'm a first generation accredited investor. I realize that there are a lot of us out there. Many of us don't even know that we're accredited investors and being able to, to gain access. So we're really focused on helping uh, that individual at uh, firstgencp.com. You can find out more. There's information there. There's an invest page. If you want to go right directly and give us more um, to know more about you and we can contact you and things like that. Um, but I would also say, and, and Jesse, you know this, man, I really, really, really love the LinkedIn platform. And I think I'm the only Billy Keels in Barcelona, Spain. So I should be pretty <laughs> easy to find. I guess the thing that I would ask is that you just remind me when you send a personal invitation that you heard Jesse and I here speaking, uh, just makes the conversation uh, continue much easier. So those would be the three ways going long podcast, firstgencp.com, uh, or just uh, check me out over at, uh, at LinkedIn at Billy Keels. Billy, I, I love all your content. I love the podcast. The interview that you did with Maurice is amazing. So everybody go over and check that out. I've literally listened to it seven or eight times. <laughs> um, but again, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. The story, it's incredible. It's crisscrossed the whole world. Um, so much, you know, trials and triumph to bring you to where you are today. And as you said at the end, I mean, you're still on this journey, brother. You're still learning just like the rest of us. So again, I cannot thank you enough for coming on World Science. Thanks, brother. 
Thanks so much, Jesse. Appreciate you, man. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.